What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey everybody, I'm Dan Bespris, the host of Fantasy NBA Today, Hoopball's flagship full-season fantasy podcast. We cover every piece of news, every mock draft, every rank list, pickups, drops, buy lows, sell highs, and every sleeper candidate all year long, Monday through Friday. Come check us out. We're Fantasy NBA Today, and you can follow me on Twitter for updates at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. We'll talk to you soon. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Oh my goodness, Bulls fans. It has been way too long. And when I mean way too long, I mean way too long. Like months long. And I have to tell you, it is so good to be back with you here on the Hoop Ball Chicago Bulls podcast. We are a part of the Hoop Ball Network. For those of you that may remember me, because it's been so long, my name is Greg Moraz. I am sometimes the host of this program. Clearly when I have my act together is when we're actually getting to host this program, which to start off, I sincerely apologize for the lack of content over the last three months, last four months, really. I got promoted at work, work became crazy, and I just lost the ability to podcast in my free time. And the other thing that honestly happened is that my computer started not working properly, the thing that I record on. I have a mixer board that goes into this computer, and all of a sudden this computer started basically wonking out. It wouldn't turn on for two weeks. Now it'll only turn on when I have the cord plugged in at all times, and every time I open up the computer after I've moved outlets, it thinks it's Thursday, 4 o'clock on December 31st, 2015, for whatever reason. But I will say this. We are going to commit to having a better program, to having a program where we will talk more about what's going on with the Chicago Bulls. Just because I haven't been recording content, and now we're 15 games into the year, 
it's a good time to get on the train that has been, quite frankly, rolling at a surprisingly high rate. And really, when you look at this team and you look at what they did to improve in the offseason and all of the adversity that they have faced in a variety of different ways this year already, it's remarkable that they are as good as they are, but it also goes to show that what Arturis Karnishevis and Mark Eversley did in the offseason, and really going back to last year when they traded for Nikola Vucevic, is that they had a plan for how they were going to be competitive in this season. And that competitive plan was get guys who can play positionless basketball, get guys who can defend on the perimeter, and quite frankly, just run up and down the floor. And there are two guys on this team that I believe, the two new acquisitions, that have made a world of difference. DeMar DeRozan has been incredible. He's been nothing short of exactly what you wanted when you signed him. Everybody was worried about DeMar DeRozan's defense. Well, through 15 games, DeMar DeRozan is averaging 26.6 points per game. He's averaging five rebounds per game, just about, and he's averaging a little over four assists per game, which I think are pretty good numbers. For somebody that is known as an offense-only guy to be able to have over four assists per game, I think is pretty impressive. I think that what that shows is, is that he's willing to play within the offense. And this is an offense that it distributes well from the point, meaning running the offense through Nikola Vucevic, which is exactly what we said and what we thought they were going to be able to do when the season started. And DeRozan is fitting in absolutely wonderfully. If you look at the percentages at this point in his career, He has his second highest shooting percentage of any single season. His best shooting percentage was in 2019-20 where he shot 53.1%. He's currently shooting at 50% this year. Three-point percentage, and this is where I've been really impressed. DeMar DeRozan has never been known as a good three-point shooter. Throughout his entire career, he hasn't been known as a good three-point shooter. In his three years with the Spurs... He had three-point percentages of 15.6, 25.7, and 25.7. Now, he's never going to be a great three-point shooter. But this year, he is shooting 35% from three-point range. And that is the biggest difference in terms of why he is probably having his best season. Oh, not to mention, he has the potential to score at the highest clip he ever has. The highest that he ever had was with the Raptors in 2016-17 when he averaged 27.3. But this is the second alpha in the scoring department behind Zach Levine. Now you can make the argument that DeMar DeRozan has actually surpassed Zach Levine in regards to being this team's top offensive player, but the numbers are very similar because Levine is averaging 26.2 points per game. Now, the thing with Levine this year is that a lot of pressure has been taken off of him as a primary ball handler. And this is something we talked about all throughout last year and even before that, is that Zach Levine was not a true point guard. Well, now he not only has one, but he has two guys around him that can handle the ball 
in Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso. Now, Caruso is more of a combo guard, and not to mention Io DeSumo. So he's got three guys around him that can handle the ball. Zach Levine, at this point, is playing more efficient basketball, or so it seems. He's averaging 26.2 points per game. He's shooting around the same clip he did last year at around 49.1%. He's shooting 40% from three-point range, which is just a little bit below where he was last year. He's at 87% from the line, so that's pretty darn good as well. But you look at the numbers that are better this year than they've been in the past, you look at his rebounding numbers. He's close to six boards per game. You know, now that I actually look at it, it's really not that different than what it was last year. It just feels different because this team is so much better. And this team has had some phenomenal wins this year. If you go back and you look at the first 15 games and you look at what this team has done. They got off to a 4-0 start. First time since the 96-97 Bulls that they had done that. They lose to the Knicks. Now, they had played the Pistons twice, the Raptors, and the Pelicans in their first three games of the year. Nothing to write home about, especially with how bad the Pelicans are. Oh, gosh, that's a train that's gone south in a really short amount of time. They lost to the Knicks by one point at home. Then they beat the Jazz, who could be the number one seed in the West, and they won by 14 in Boston. Now, they lost back-to-back games against Philadelphia, but then they come home, they beat the Nets, then they beat the Mavericks. They come out to the West Coast, they lose to the Warriors. Okay. Then they go down to Staples, or as it's going to be called, Crypto.com Arena, and they beat the Clippers and the Lakers in back-to-back games. And they handled the Lakers. They beat the Lakers by 18 points. Now, the Lakers are not the same team that they were two years ago when they won the title. LeBron basically decided to assemble the -the over-the-hill all-star team in which you have Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony, Dwight Howard for some reason is playing significant minutes. I don't understand what their whole plan of attack was coming into this year. But they're nothing to write home about, but you still beat the Lakers by 18 points in Los Angeles. I don't care if it's the Kobe Lakers, the peak LeBron Lakers, or the D'Angelo Russell Lakers. It's still beating the Lakers by 18 points in Los Angeles. Now, they did lose to the Trailblazers the other night, and Portland, they're an okay team. They're not a good team. That's an organization that is in some upheaval right now. But you look at the rest of the Eastern Conference and where the Bulls stack up. The two teams that are ahead of them in record are teams that you thought would be better than them, Miami and Brooklyn. Although I'm not so sure how good Brooklyn is going to be if they don't have Kyrie Irving at all this year. Now, I actually think that they're better off without him than they are with him at this point because of all of the -the off-the-court drama with the vaccine mandate that he would potentially bring. I feel like they're starting to find their rhythm, and KD and James Harden are a pretty good one-two punch. The Wizards are a surprisingly good team. Wes Unsell Jr. has got them playing great basketball. They're at 10-5 and as well. The Hornets have been a really interesting team. They got off to a really hot start. Then they hit a swoon. Now they've won four in a row. LaMelo Ball and Miles Bridges have been absolutely exciting to watch every single night. 
The Sixers are at 9-7 and seven, despite the fact that they don't have Ben Simmons. Who knows when they're going to have Ben Simmons. And then you look at a couple of other teams that surprisingly are playing terrible right now. Milwaukee has been underwhelming, to say the least. Now, I know that Giannis has missed a couple of games, but the fact that they're under 500, granted, through 15 games, really surprising. So far, the Celtics, in year one without Brad Stevens as the head coach, very underwhelming. They have some unrest on that team with the targets that Marcus Smart set on the backs of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, saying that they won't pass the ball, so there's definitely some internal drama there. How about the Atlanta Hawks at 7-9 and nine to start off the year? And that's after winning three games in a row. This is a team that made the Eastern Conference Finals last year. And the Indiana Pacers, who made the play-in games last year, fired their coach, Nate Bjorken, hired Rick Carlisle, who had been their coach over 10 years ago. They're off to a bad start as well, though Chris Duarte is making a strong play for Rookie of the Year. How about the Cleveland Cavaliers, though? They're currently in the eighth spot. They've lost three in a row, but Evan Mobley is looking like a Rookie of the Year candidate for sure. There's going to be a lot of parity in the East. There is only four games in the loss column that separates the number one team from the number 12 team. So the Bulls have a chance to get to the top. They also could fall down a little bit more in the East. And granted, we're talking about the standings with 15 games under our belt this year. Now the reason I do that, though is because of a lot of things that have happened. And when I say the Bulls have faced adversity, this is what I'm talking about. They were without Kobe White for all of training camp and just got him back the other night against the Lakers. Patrick Williams was hurt during training camp, came back, and then suffered a broken wrist five games into his second season, and the Bulls' first-round draft pick from 2020 is out for the remainder of his sophomore year. Nikola Vucevic has been in COVID protocol despite being fully vaccinated. So they've been without him at times as well. So the team that you're going to see on the floor for the rest of the year is down somebody that was supposed to be a starter. And because of the draft capital that the Bulls have traded away and the amount of money that they have sunk into guys like DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic, at least in terms of acquiring his contract, Lonzo Ball, and Alex Caruso, they're not going to be able to trade for anybody else this year. They won't be able to trade for another front court piece more than likely. So the Bulls, at this point, are playing the type of basketball that they are, having to have guys like Derek Jones Jr. at times step in down in the post. And Jones is averaging about a block per game, so he's actually been a lot better than some have thought. Tony Bradley has had to start in place of Nikola Vucevic, and he's not going to give you much in terms of offense, but at least he's a body that you can put out there for around 10 minutes a night, and Tony Bradley is a former first-round pick that just hasn't really ever blossomed into anything worthwhile offensively in the NBA although he did average a little over eight points a game in 22 games last year with the Thunder, although anything with a Thunder from last year 
is taking something with a grain of salt because that was one of the youngest teams in the league and they really weren't worth watching at all. This is a very top-heavy Bulls lineup. You are going to see eight-guy rotations once Vucevic gets back. You are going to see a lot of DeRozan, Levine, Vuce, Ball, and at this point, I would probably say they would go three guards and potentially start Kobe White, or you could start Io Dosumu or Alex Caruso. See, the Bulls' strength at this point is their depth in the backcourt because Dosumu has been so good so early on. I think a lot better than most people thought he was going to be. And I'll tell you this. I was riding the Io DeSumo train. We did a whole episode on it. I think that was the last episode that we did of this podcast anyway, which is really sad for my work ethic on this show at this point. But I promise you we are going to be getting better. You look at what Io DeSumo has done this year, and he's had games where, and the game that everybody really was talking about with him, his coming out party, was the game in Boston where he scored 14 points on 6 of 6 shots in just 22 minutes and then follows it up with a 15-point performance in 20 minutes against the Brooklyn Nets. Now, he's not somebody at this point that's going to be averaging double figures. You can't expect that from a rookie and somebody that's coming off the bench. But you knew how good Io DeSumo was at Illinois. You knew that even though he wasn't regarded as a top draft prospect, that he could fit into a rotation and play right away because he had been playing games at the highest level of college basketball in the Big Ten Conference for the last three years. And I look at somebody like Io DeSumo as being a guy that can back up Lonzo Ball, spare him some minutes, a guy that can play off ball and act like a two-guard because he's got the offensive game of a two-guard. He's shooting at this point in his rookie year 49% from the field. That's somebody that can play a two-guard spot. And Billy Donovan is trusting him in terms of minutes. After the Knicks game, where he only played nine minutes. He played 21 against Utah, 22 against Boston. He only played 13 apiece in each of the two games against Philly. But from the Nets game on, he's played 20, 19, 16, 19, 21, and 17. Io DeSumo is going to play 15-plus minutes a night. So it might as well be in the starting lineup if you want to get creative. Alex Caruso, by the way has been amazing. Alex Caruso is somebody that I thought was kind of a gimmick, but it turns out he is an elite defensive player. Caruso is averaging over four assists per game in 29 minutes. He's averaging close to eight points per game, which is pretty good for somebody that is not a real offensive guy. He's not a real offensive guy. He's somebody that's going to come in defend the ball, and be able to pick your pocket. And he's averaging two and a half steals per game this year. So he is somebody that is creating havoc in the passing lanes. He's playing the ball really well in terms of being an on-ball defender. And he's just adding that extra chemistry aspect that the players love and that the fans love. This is a team that's molding together. But I do believe they need another offensive piece. Even before 
he was out with COVID, Nikola Vucevic had struggled. I think it's worth saying that Nikola Vucevic has struggled compared to what he has been in the past. Now, this is still your main front court guy, but Vucevic is shooting under 40% for the first time in his career. He's shooting 26.7% from three-point range. So by all accounts, he is having one of his worst offensive years. And his points per game, he has averaged at least 16.5 points per game every year since the start of the 2017-18 season. He has averaged over 17 points a game four different seasons in his career. Right now he's averaging 13.6, which is the worst average for him since the 2013 season, 12-13 season, his first real full season in the NBA, his first year in Orlando, second year in the league. Vooch has not been comfortable, and maybe the time off that he's getting right now because of COVID When he comes back, maybe he gets to the point where he is feeling a lot better about his shot and a lot better about his role in the offense. He's never been a plus defender. So you can accept what Vucevic is as an offensive player, knowing that his defense is not going to be great, but what he is as an offensive player is still not great. Now we look at the numbers and say, okay, he's averaging 13.5 and he's still averaging 11 rebounds per game. But you need the points per game to be higher for what you paid for him. But I also think it goes to the fact that without Patrick Williams, the Bulls really don't have a secondary front court option that they can put on the court at the same time as Vucevic. Because if the ball goes to him, especially in the low post, guys are going to double him because they know there's not a secondary option in the front court. I think that the Bulls are going to try and find a way to trade for a front court player. And the one guy, and I've evaluated this as I've thought about what this team is at this point. With Io Desumu and Alex Caruso playing as well as they have, I no longer believe that Kobe White is in this team's long-term future. And while he's still under his rookie contract, They can get a lot for him. Somebody will trade for Kobe White knowing that he is relatively cheap compared to somebody else at his position and still has a lot of talent. I think the Bulls are going to try to get a power forward from a team that has no chance of making the playoffs. Who that person is remains to be seen. I don't know who that person is yet. Would I be crazy for throwing out Marvin Bagley's name? Why not see if Marvin Bagley's available? Clearly, the Kings don't want to play him. He clearly wants out of there. He's got a load of talent. Now, Marvin Bagley may be somebody that you trade minimal things for because his value is so low at this point that nobody's going to want him. Or he's basically going to be viewed as damaged goods, and nobody's going to give up that much for him. So you may not even have to give up a Kobe White to get somebody like a Marvin Bagley. But somebody, a veteran, a young veteran, a young veteran's kind of an oxymoron, but somebody that can give you depth in the front court. 
That's what the Bulls are going to have to do. They're not going to do it immediately, but it's something they are going to have to do if they are going to be in the top half of the playoff picture in the Eastern Conference. They have proven that they can win in adverse situations. The question becomes, do they have the horses to sustain what they have started? I do not believe at this point that the Chicago Bulls have the pieces necessary to make a deep run in the playoffs. This team is going to go to the playoffs this year. I don't think there's any question about that. This team is going to go to the playoffs, and they're going to go to it riding on the back of Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Lonzo Ball. And let's talk about Lonzo Ball. He has done a phenomenal job running the offense. He has become a really good shooter, and he's somebody that just spaces the floor well. It's a really good player to have to open up the offense in the half court and be able to create opportunities for Levine and DeRozan. That's the guy that Zach Levine has been waiting for his entire career, and now he has him. You look at the upcoming schedule. Denver is going to be a tough game. Then you come home, you play the Knicks, the Pacers, then you go to Houston, then you go to Orlando. That's a five-game stretch that I see, at worst, three and two. They could win all five of those games. I truly believe at this point with how they've been playing. But I think that Vooch has to come back and he has to start playing like the guy that he was for the past few years in Orlando. Can your front court survive with the options of Derek Jones Jr., Javante Graham, and Tony Bradley? And maybe Troy Brown Jr. if they play him more minutes. I don't see this front court as being able to lift the Bulls on their back. I don't think you can go into the playoffs starting Javante Green or Tony Bradley. I just don't think you can do it. So I think they need to pick up somebody else to complement Vucevic in the front court. Maybe it's a stretch four, but they have to get an experienced NBA body that can play the post well and work high-low out of the post, something that Vucevic does really well. But the whole moral of the story, and just to wrap it all up here, the Bulls are 10-5 and through 15 games. How long have we been begging for 10-5 and for this team? The moral of the story is you have a competitive basketball team. You have a team that's going to make the playoffs that will continue to win games because the Bulls have not just one guy, but two guys now that know how to deliver in crunch time. And for as wide-eyed as a lot of people were about the DeMar DeRozan signing, you cannot argue with close to 27 points a game. You cannot argue with him taking over possessions in the fourth quarter. And you cannot argue the fact that while he's been getting his, Zach Levine is still getting his. And that's why this team is as good as they are. And that's going to do it for our revival edition of the Hoopball Chicago Bulls podcast. We will try to be back more often with more content, more talking 
about the high flyers on the west side. I've always wanted to call them the high flyers on the west side, at least for a long time, but they've never stylistically been able to play like that, not since the Derrick Rose MVP year. But I really feel like at this point we can call them the high flyers on the west side because they truly are the embodiment of a run-and-gun exciting team. That's it for us on the Hoop Ball Chicago Bulls podcast. Have a great rest of your week. And as always, welcome back. Go Bulls! This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.